Good morning. My name is Carmen. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is David. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 11 and 15 to 18. You were once darkness, and now you are the light in the Lord. So live your life as children of light. Light, proceeds, light produces fruit that consists of every sort of goodness, justice, and truth. Therefore, test everything you see which is pleasing to the Lord, and don't participate in the unfruitful actions of darkness. Instead, you should reveal the truth about them. So be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity. These are evil times, because these are evil times. Because of this, don't be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Hannah. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Father, we just ask that by your Spirit now you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our minds, open our hearts. Help us to see Jesus and help us by the power of your Spirit to be formed into his image even as your word is proclaimed and believed and received. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's the fifth Sunday of Easter, Easter Tide, we call the season, the season where the resurrection life of God continues to, we, we, we celebrate it continuing to roll into our lives. And so we've been in this series called Living the Resurrection to explore what it means to say, yes, we embrace your resurrection life in every part of our own lives. And so we've been going through the book of Ephesians chapters four, five, and six uh, to kind of mark this life, to talk about how the resurrection life continues to unfold and, and, and shine and change and reshape every part of who we are. And today we're talking about what it means to live as children of 
the light. Now, in Ephesians 4, Paul kind of opened this section by saying how we should live. Some translations use this word walk, but walk is this metaphoric language for a lifestyle, a way of living. And so Paul says, don't, don't live or rather live in a way that is of equal weight to your calling. Live in a way that is worthy of your calling. And then later on in Ephesians 4, he says, don't live like Gentiles, even though you are Gentiles. And what he's saying is don't live like the thing that you were saved out of. You have a new identity that you're living from now. And then last week we talked about what it means to live uh, as dearly loved children of God and how the love of God not only changes us, but changes the way that we approach love with one another. And we talked about all some specific, uh, perhaps even uh, delicate, adult-oriented subjects that relate to that, if you recall. If you, if you weren't here, you can now get the podcast. And this morning, we're talking about children of light. What does it mean to live as children of light? I don't know if you've had this experience before, particularly you who have uh, young kids in the home, but the other day we heard a commercial uh, come on during a basketball game, and the song was kind of this catchy song during the commercial, and so uh, one of our kids began singing the song around the house, and, and the lyric line itself that was used in the commercial was perfectly innocent, and so we were just you know, kind of having a little jam out time with just singing that one line over and over again, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go get this, this song, you know, and so just as I was about to find this song on iTunes or, you know, Spotify or whatever, I came to my senses. And I thought, maybe I should Google the lyrics of the rest of the song first. And then when I Googled the lyrics, I thought, this is awful. And then I, and then I had one of those curmudgeonly moments where I was like, oh, the depravity of the world around us, you know? You can't even have a song that has wholesome lyrics, you know? It's got this catchy line, and then the rest of it is just absolute filth, you know? And I was having this sort of grouchy moment, and I, and I realized this is sort of the challenge for us. What do we do about the darkness of the world? Because it's, it's there. It's all around us. And so maybe one approach is to, is to condemn the world and say, oh, the foul, filthy world, and how dare the darkness be dark, you know, because that doesn't actually make sense, right? It is what darkness is. And so we thought, okay, maybe condemning it is not the right uh, approach. And so then there's another group that, that says, well, let's swing this way and let's begin to sort of accommodate the darkness in the world. And they're sort of, let's just make a little room for it. It's okay if we watch this show and that show and this song and that song. But, you know, it's, it's all right. And we, we gradually slide our way towards accommodation. And most of us in here would say, you know what? I don't think that's the right approach either. And then there's this third option where we think, well, maybe we just should disengage completely. Let's find a bunker. Let's store up some water. And let's just not have anything to do with it. Now, there is a certain kind of wisdom to disengaging. And as you'll see from our text this morning, there are times when Paul says, don't even have anything to do with that. Remain ignorant of that, right? There is, that is part of our approach, but it is not the whole of our approach because we live here. We live in this world. And so the question is, what does it mean to really live as children of light in a world that is dark. Ephesians 5 verse 8 is our text, uh, 8 and 9 is our text for this morning. If you would turn there, and this is what Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light 
in the Lord. Now, right away, this is a peculiar way of phrasing it. Maybe we are more familiar with Peter's phrase where he says, you've been called out of darkness and into light. But here, Paul's not describing darkness and light as two different environments. Instead, he's, dis- he's using darkness and light to describe us. In other words, you guys, the problem wasn't that you're good people living with a bunch of sinners, but the problem is that you yourself were darkness. This prevents us from having any sort of false righteousness or moral superiority. Says, I was basically a good person, but just the culture is so dark. Paul's like, uh-uh, not so fast. You were darkness. Not that you lived in darkness. You were darkness. And then he says, but you are now light. So live your life as children of light. And then he marks out a few things that are fruit of this, manifestations of this. He says, light produces fruit that consists of every sort of goodness, justice, and truth. We're going to look this morning at what it means, what the marks are of living as children of light. But Paul gives us a clue already. He says, look, there's goodness, there's justice, there's truth that comes from this kind of life. I want to just pause for a minute before we get into that and to talk about this metaphor of light. We use it so much, especially in the church world, that it just becomes kind of jargony. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let you know, you're the light of the world, or brother, go be a light. I mean, it's just, we, we sort of lose the meaning all of a sudden. We're like, well, what exactly is this, the richness of this metaphor? And so I want to begin in the beginning. Genesis 1, we heard it in our Old Testament reading this morning. Genesis 1, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. Now these are all image-rich words, image-rich phrases, the darkness and the depths of the sea. The sea in Hebrew language and in the Hebrew mind was a picture of chaos and evil. The the Hebrews were not sailors, they were not seafaring people, and all of their enemies came to them on ships. And so there's even in the prophet books, the sea is the place where monsters come out of the waters. And that's why in the book of Revelation, in the very end, the vision of a renewed creation says, and there was no more sea. Now that's not because God hates beach vacations. I'm pretty sure he does not. And that does not mean that in the renewed creation, you will not get to enjoy soft sand and lovely waves. It's a way of saying that when the creation is renewed and redeemed, evil will not have its way. The chaos and darkness of evil will no longer have its way. And so if that's the picture at the end in Revelation, in Genesis, that's why the story starts by saying, it's all dark and there's depths of the sea. There's a chaos to this. But then it goes on and says, and God's wind swept over the waters and God said, the first words in scripture out of the mouth of God are words that command light. Let there be light. And so light appeared. And so we see in the scriptures that light is associated with God's creative work, God's ordering work, God bringing order out of chaos, God bringing light into the world. 
And then if you keep reading into the wisdom literature, amen, into the wisdom literature, you see in various Psalms and Proverbs that light is associated with the wisdom of God. Maybe one of the most well-known passages, Psalm 119, the psalmist says what? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And on and on throughout Psalms and Proverbs, the word of God, the teaching of God is associated with light. Proverbs puts these things together. Proverbs 3 says, The Lord laid the foundations of the earth with wisdom, and the heavens, establishing the heavens with understanding. Maybe we can sum it up this way. The world was ordered by the wisdom of God. The world was ordered by God's wisdom. But that's not the whole story, is it? Because shortly after, let there be light, and creation starts to come into order because of lights. Shortly after that, what does the rest of the Genesis story tell us? It talks to us about things coming apart. Genesis 3, humans and God, their relationship becomes disordered and fractured. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the relationship of brothers now is torn apart by jealousy and rivalry. Genesis 9, the very grounds give way and the floodwaters of the deep rise up in judgment over the human race. There's a disruption and a disordering of the world. Genesis 11, the societies themselves become fractured. If the world was was ordered by God's wisdom, we must also say that the world is being disordered by human folly. It's not just true that the world was ordered by God's wisdom, it's also true that the world is now being disordered by human folly. And the story doesn't end there. Thank goodness the story doesn't end there. We get into the New Testament and John opens his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, or in the Greek, the logos, the wisdom of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. And then it says, and the word became human flesh and came into the world, but the darkness rejected him. Here's John putting together the two themes Wisdom and light, creation and the beginning. There's a new beginning that's happening because Jesus entered the world. It's John's gospel that shows us Jesus as the wisdom of God, the logos, and the light of the world. John's gospel says both of those phrases. So if we put it together, we would say, Jesus, the light of the world, and the wisdom of God is reordering the world. Jesus, the light of the world and the wisdom of God is reordering the world. Friends, that is good news. The good news that Jesus took on human flesh and entered our world as the very wisdom of God in human flesh, as the light of the world shining in the darkness, means that God's salvation plan was not an escape plan. It means that God's escape, God's plan right away from the beginning was not, ooh, this world is too dark, let's get out of here. And this is why when we we're trying to answer the question of how we are to live as children of light, we have to acknowledge and understand that God's mission was not to evacuate us from the darkness, but to invade it with lights. God's mission was not to withdraw, let's just get out of here, it's too dark, we gotta go. He says, no, 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 we're going in. And we're going in to reorder the world. We're going in to bring the wisdom of God into the world. Jesus is reordering the world. Amen? Amen. Now, everything about who we are now as children of the light flows out of that. 
And so when we come back to our phrase that we are children of light, what do we think this might mean? Here's a sentence for you to marinate on this week. We, the children of light, are invited to participate in God's reordering of the world by revealing and reflecting the wisdom of God. We, the children of light, are invited to participate in God's reordering of the world by revealing and reflecting the wisdom of God. Think about that for a minute. We are not just recipients of the salvation of God. We are participants in. Not just recipients of, but participants in. We're invited to participate in it. Jesus is saying, I'm doing this. Who's with me? And Paul says, all right, this is our mission. This is how we live. We're still here for a reason. We're here because God's still here. We're here because the end goal is not getting out of here. The end goal is heaven fully remaking and renewing the world. And we get to start in that work now. Amen? Now, you look at this and you go, that is really beautiful and inspiring and poetic. But Glenn, I have no idea what that looks like for me. Like, I've, I've, okay, that's, that, thank you, that's compelling, but, but in my life, what does that actually mean? Well, Paul helps us a little bit. You ever seen those uh, diet plans that say, that make it kind of easy for you, and they say, eat this, not that, right? Paul gives us now three contrasting statements, and he says, don't, don't do this, don't live this way, live this way. Don't pursue this, pursue this. Don't be filled with this, be filled with this. And so this kind of will help us. So number one, Children of light live wisely, not foolishly. Children of light live wisely, not foolishly. Verse 15. So be careful not to how you live your life. Be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Part of the goal here for all of us is to move beyond the grid of is this wrong or is this right? Now, That's not because I don't believe that there are clear right and wrongs. There are. It's because I believe that probably the odds are most of your decision-making challenges in life will not be about black and white issues, will not be about right or wrong issues. It will be about wise or foolish. And Paul knows that, that maturity in Christ is not just saying, well, what? I'm not doing anything wrong. Paul's like, yeah, but you're not exactly living wisely either. And parents, I mean, all of you parents in the room, take heart, right? Because our goal in imparting something to our children is not to leave them with a code, but to leave them with a heart that gets wisdom, a heart that understands wisdom. I'll never forget, I was 13, and I got my first, uh, I, I think I won it as a prize, but I got my first Christian rock cassette tape, and it was by a band called Petra. It was the Beyond Belief album. There's a higher place to go. Beyond belief. But the thing is, my dad was uh, radically saved out of a different kind of uh, paradigm. And so for him, rock music is all associated with ungodliness. And so for him, at the time, it was like Christian rock. Seriously, Glenn, like what's next? A Christian cigarette? You know? (laughs) 
And so, and so it was like, it does not compute, you know. And so instead, but instead of saying, no, you can't, he realized that this is a good occasion to try to impart a heart of wisdom. And so, so he said, okay, why don't you listen to this tape for a week and, uh, and see if after a week it ends up leading you closer to the Lord or if it ends up being a detriment to your quiet times or to your relationship with the Lord. And I thought at the time, I just thought, oh, brother, of course it's going to lead me closer to the Lord. It's about belief and like going beyond it and stuff, you know? <laughs> but in retrospect, I think that was really wise, like helping me not just to know, don't do, do, but to internalize, is this wise? Is this leading me on the right trajectory? Is this part of the goal? So for all of us this morning, let me suggest a question for you. Ask yourself, does this add to the disorder of the world or does this help to reorder the world according to God's goodness, justice, and truth? Remember Paul said in verse 9 that the fruit of light is justice and goodness and truth. And so one of the things you can ask yourself is, look, will this choice contribute to justice and goodness and truth arriving in the world, or will it add to the disorder of the world? One of the things I love about my wife and the, and the influence that she has on our home is she's never content to just settle an issue by saying, what? It's fine. <laughs> she's saying, fine is not what we're going for. What we're going for is goodness and beauty and truth. What we're going for here is wisdom in our children. So, so you say, well, there's, what's wrong with this? So this? Well, nothing's wrong with that, but what could be better? What's a better choice for our free time? What's a better choice for our evening? What's a better choice for our road trips? What is, what's a better choice here? What could contribute towards a heart of wisdom? And, and I, I have to admit, that's not always the place I want to go. I want to go to what's easy, what's convenient, what will keep the kids quiet. And her influence on our home, thankfully, is what will lead them towards wisdom, what will produce the fruit of justice and goodness and truth. Those are the ways we want to move. Amen? Secondly, Paul says to us, children of light actually understand God's will. Verse 17, because of this, don't be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Actually, Paul has said something like this already in verse 10. He says, therefore, test everything to see what's pleasing to the Lord. And then in one of his other letters to the Romans, chapter 12, he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Isn't it amazing that understanding God's will requires conscious reflection? It's not our default mode. We don't often, in default, often people say, oh, I just had this gut feeling. I don't know if you should trust that. Paul says, think it through. Think it through. Understand what God's will is. Figure it out. Do some, do some work on this. Reflect on this. My mom, I remember a couple, a couple different occasions growing up, my mom would assign me a, a word study or, or verse study a paper about something. <laughs> we were talking this morning about this time that I was, I, was, I was disappointed about not winning a certain prize or something. And she said, why don't you do a little paper on all the times humility is mentioned in the scriptures? Figure out 
what the will of God is. Work hard to understand this. Think it through. Reflect on this. Now, I want to say, this is not about micro-decision-making, okay? I, had a, I, I knew a, a gal in college who wouldn't choose her classes for the next semester until God told her specifically which classes to take. Now, listen, I understand there's a beauty about holding everything open before the Lord and saying, Lord, redirect my day, redirect my stuff. I think that is beautiful, but there's also a degree plan sheet that you could follow. So just take the next classes, you know? And so, so, so I'm not, I don't think what Paul has in mind here is micro decision making. I think what Paul has in mind is the macro trajectory of life, saying, understand the will of God. And every, very often when you read Paul, what he's saying is the will of God is now most fully revealed in Jesus, in Jesus. So in other words, ask yourself, does this look like the God revealed in Jesus? Does this look like the God revealed? When you're trying to understand what the will of God is, ask yourself, does this look like the life of God revealed in Jesus? Now, here is what's interesting. As much as Paul says, try to understand the will of God, he also tells us things to be ignorant of. He says in in, in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, don't mention the deeds of immorality. Verse 7, don't have anything to do with it. Verse 12, don't even talk about it. There are some things that we should not direct a curiosity towards. Now, here's what's interesting. Again, as a, as a parent, we think about this. You know, kids are curious. And sometimes we think that our role as parents is to squash that curiosity. Don't we worry about you. Just don't worry about those things. You know, no, no. I, I'm starting to understand that part of our role as parents is to actually direct their curiosity. To say, look, when it comes to darkness... There's no need to be experts in knowing all about that. But, you know, that curiosity is good. Let's be curious about how the Lord might be at work here. And let's, let's be curious about finding God in all things. Let's be curious about this and that, about understanding the will of God. Let's be curious about the life of God revealed in Christ Jesus, what that looks like in your classroom. Let's be curious about that. Paul specifically says, don't, there's some things you shouldn't investigate. Some things you, you don't even go there. And there are other things it's like, go, go all the way there. Keep thinking about that. Keep, keep pursuing that. Keep chewing on that. Now, for some of you, this question, does it look like the God revealed in Jesus? You, you might have a, your own version of it because you had the gift of a, a godly a, a parent. You might say, what would my mom say? <laughs> what would my mom say to do about this situation? I'm trying to understand God's will. What would my mom tell me to do? I had, a, I had a, a mother with adult children uh, grab me after the first service and say, my kids came to church today. Thank you for telling them that. <laughs> you know, so they're not so sure mom knows, you know. <laughs> the gift of godly mothers is a beautiful thing. In fact, I suspect that in this room today, the people who embody the daily sacrificial hidden quiet, consistent, faithful love of God the most are all the mothers in this room. You're the ones who live this out. Uncelebrated often, un, you know, it's not memorialized. You don't usually have statues unveiled of you in the courtyards of great cities. 
But our prayer is that your legacy to your kids is one day when they're trying to understand the will of God and figure out what the God revealed by Jesus looks like, they'll say, I remember my mom loving people this way. I remember my mom making these choices. And now I know what the life of God looks like. Now I know what the love of God looks like. That's your gift. Thirdly, Paul says, children of light are filled up with the Spirit. Verse 18 of Ephesians 5, he says, Don't get drunk on wine which produces depravity, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on, says, by singing, by speaking, by uh, the way that your relationships are reworked. Now, I was studying this passage looking for a reason that Paul contrasts drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. And of course, maybe we think about the story in the day of Pentecost where people thought that the disciples were drunk because they were speaking in other tongues and all of this stuff. But there's not a clear answer to this. One of the reasons may be that though we don't know that this was specifically happening in Ephesus, it was happening in other cities, this cult of the goddess Dionysius. And so this Dionysian cult would be this thing where you would come to worship her and as part of the worship you would get drunk out of your mind and then that drunkenness would lead to sexual excess and debauchery and all of these kind of reckless choices. Now, I I just can't imagine that we have anything to relate that to in our day. I mean, it just sounds like a first century problem, right? Dionysius, we don't even talk about her. No, No, but her temple exists in every city. And though it's not a formal act of worship, my goodness, is it a ritual that people follow. And Paul says, look, there is a kind of worship, quote unquote, where you engage in a drunkenness that leads to debauchery. But there's another kind of worship that actually leads to wisdom and a reordered relationships with others. See, think about this. We said this last week, sexual immorality is a disordered version of intimacy. We spelled this out last week. And Paul says, look, there's a kind of way of filling yourself up on the world's stuff that leads to further disordering of loves and relationships and intimacy. But there's another kind of thing that you can fill up on that reorders all of your relationships. And husbands and wives treat each other differently. And children and parents treat each other differently. And employers and employees interact differently. And all of the stuff that the rest of Ephesians 5 and the beginning of 6 go into, Paul saying, that's the result of filling up on the right stuff. What's amazing to me even more is that this word for debauchery is actually the word dissipation. It's an old English word, but it's the idea of, I just picture water just being drained out like a leaky cup. And it's the exact opposite. Paul says, look, you could get drunk, but you're not actually filling yourself up. You're actually emptying yourself out. You think this thing will medicate your problem. You think this thing will actually heal the wound that is in your heart, but all that it's doing is emptying you out. I wonder what that is for us beyond alcohol. What are all the other ways that we intoxicate ourselves with the constant noise of a TV, with the constant refreshing of social media, that we're intoxicating ourselves with this narcissism, with every other kind of substance to say, fill me up, heal the woundedness in my heart, solve the the longing for intimacy that I really have, fill this up. And Paul's saying, don't you see, the only thing it's doing is emptying you out. 
It's emptying you out. You want fullness? It's available, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, so go on continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Fullness is actually quite a theme in Ephesians. Sometime go look at Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and Ephesians 4 about what Paul says about fullness. The fullness of God in Christ Jesus. The fullness of God in the church. All of the stuff. And now he says, look, and it's available to us through the Holy Spirit. You want fullness? That's what the Spirit makes available to you. This is an echo of what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And so maybe the question to ask ourselves as we live is, is this emptying the life of God from me, or is it filling me up with the life of God? Is it emptying me? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm binge-watching Netflix shows. It's not wrong. But is it emptying me or is it filling me up? Is there something else I could be doing that would be filling me up with the life of God? Right? Most of this stuff about living as children of light is beyond the elementary, well, is this moral or immoral? But it's, it's saying, how can I just live differently? How can I experience and taste the fullness of the life of God. There's a Franciscan priest named Father Reniero Cantalamesa. He's an Italian Franciscan, and the last four popes have chosen him to be their personal pastor in the papal household. Imagine that. I got to meet him two years ago. His face just beams with joy. He's in his 80s now, and the man, it's like meeting the most joyful saint. He just beams with joy. And he wrote a couple books called The Sober Intoxication of the Holy Spirit. The Sober Intoxication of the Holy Spirit. And I love that phrase. Because he says it's intoxicating. It's the influence of the Spirit of God that makes possible a new kind of life that would not be possible on your own. And yet what it produces is a kind of sobriety in a day of darkness, in a day of evil that allows us to live with wisdom and with understanding in such a way that our very lives begin to reorder the world. The sober intoxication of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul says in verse 14... Wake up, you sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We began this whole series by saying on Easter Sunday that resurrection is not an achievement, it's a gift. Some of you are here this morning, and resurrection life is what the Lord is offering you, but it's, he's offering it to you as a gift that will wake you up. Wake you up out of your slumber in the darkness and in old patterns of living that will wake you up. But here's the deal, you guys. It's the gift that will cost you everything. Because once you're awake, now you got to live in the light. Now you got to live like it's morning. Even though the world thinks it's midnight, you're going to live like it's morning. You're going to live like children of light. You're going to say, no, 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 no. I don't do that. We don't live that way. I'm choosing wisely. I'm choosing to understand the will of God. I'm choosing the way of being filled up with the Spirit of God over and over again. Because you guys may think it's midnight and it's the middle of the night and it's the darkest hour. But I know morning has come. And that's the way we're going to live. So would you bow your heads this morning?